1 Samuel chapter 10 this evening. We have a lot to cover, and so we'll be getting right to it. The anointing of Saul. The Old Testament is so challenging. There's so much information, so much background information. How much do you include? How much do you leave out? We can take time to just talk about anointings in the Bible. We can take time to just there's so many areas that we can go into. So I am going to try to keep it strict to the man Saul and the data before us without discussing where Zelza is and places like that. This is about the anointing of Israel's first king, as you know. And it is a very big deal. It's not a casual thing. Oh, we're doing, you know, if you're in Israel at that time, oh, they're going to anoint Saul. In fact, in the beginning, only two people know about it. Samuel, the anointer, and Saul, the anointee. And whenever God singles us out for some service, whatever it may be, it's always a big deal. It's not like, well, you know, it was a big deal when I was doing this in the church, but it's not so much when I'm... No, it's all a big deal. All of it matters. Just do it wrong and find out how much it matters. We are to apply ourselves. And the energy and the attention given to Saul by God through Samuel, is, it makes this very clear to us. Samuel's heart, when, when God finally tells Samuel, give up on Saul, Samuel, is, his heart is just broken over the whole thing. Saul meant so much to him. He looked at him, he liked him. This is the guy. I didn't want a king, but if this is going to be the king, this is the one I would have picked. And, you know, many times, for instance, in politics, people, they vote what they like. Never mind the material or the substance of the matter. It's just that they like you. That's what matters, just by looking at you. And that's not the right way to approach important decisions. And there is a flood of confirmation concerning the anointing of this man for him. So that he would have no doubt that God singled him out of all the people on the earth to be Israel's first king. You could almost say God goes out of his way to do this. Unfortunately, this energy and attention given to those being anointed for some work by God is often missed by people today in in Christianity. They don't get it. They don't appreciate it. You know, when, when someone sums up and says, you know, if you're interested, there's an opening here, and you say, I'll do that. That is a big deal. It's not, oh, okay, I'll help you guys out. No one's helping anybody out with serving the Lord. Once we get into we're helping each other out, then we're working for the wrong person. But when we remember it's, it's God's house, his property, his rules, it belongs to him. And anything he gives me, it comes from him. And as far as, for instance, tithes and offerings, he lets me keep 90% of, as a rule, as a rule of thumb, I get to keep 90% of what he's given to me. And it keeps us sober-minded, unless we trivialize these things and dismiss them. And so we learn a lot from 
a life like Saul, by looking at his life, we say, that's not how to do it. That is the how not to do it. And it's very easy. I can, I can follow this. Not complicated. And it sticks with you. Samuel began in the spirit. Remember, his mom prayed before. He was the child that wasn't supposed to be. And when he does come, his mom, you could, in this sense, say his mom prayed him into existence. Of course, not without God's permission. And he began in the spirit in that way. And he continued in the spirit until God took him home. Saul began in the spirit also. Well, it was a little bumpy. But he still was in the spirit. And that's what's going to come out this evening. But he lived in the flesh. And he died in uncertainty. We can say Samuel is in heaven. I am not so quick to say that about a man like Saul. And we'll find that out as we study his life. A challenge in studying the life of Saul is to not overdo the criticisms. They come very, he hands them to us. You just don't want to start, okay, here's another one. He's, you know, he didn't clip his nails. Uh, Something, you know, goofy. Well, let's look at verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because Yahweh has anointed you, commander, over his inheritance? That's a pretty large stewardship. The anointing. This anointing was private. Now look in the previous verse, the first Samuel chapter 9, verse 27, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go ahead of us, and he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. So this is a one-on-one thing. And there's the old prophet, and there's tall Saul. Later, in verse 17, Samuel will present Saul to the people. And then later, in chapter 11, he will coronate, he will crown him. There are three steps to his becoming king. Three phases of announcing to the nation that this is now their ruler. But here it says, uh, Samuel kissed Saul. See, this is an indication of not only support, but of love. There's an emotional side to this. This It's not emotionalism where the feelings are running the ship. But this is genuine. So Saul, Samuel, is, he, he loved Saul. And he wants this to work. And as a prophet of God, he is going to do everything he can to make it work. And it's going to be really tough for him to let it go. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Now Yahweh said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Saul's still alive when he says this. Samuel dies long before Saul. Seeing I have rejected him from being from reigning over Israel. See, I read this and I say, oh, there's lessons for me. That in ministry there's hurt feelings. There's, there's tough times, there's things you just gotta let go. But you gotta keep moving forward. Do your duty. Samuel anointed a relatively decent man. And Saul was relatively, as relative related to other men of his day, he was a decent guy. We we know of nothing against him, really. But he would become murderously obsessed with killing one more decent man than him. In fact, that is the spark that set the fire, that ignited the keg. It was 
you know, Saul has killed his thousands. The women got David in trouble. David killed his ten thousands. And this, of course, was something that just Saul could not live with. That there could be someone better than him. Pride. You know, pride is a serious thing. It drove Nebuchadnezzar crazy. The scriptures tell us that in more than one place. It was pride. And had him eating grass like a beast of the field. And too many times there are just those who miss the opportunity of the anointing on their lives, as did Saul. There he was supposed to be ruler of the people, protector of the people, defeating the Philistines and other people in the land that came against God's people, but he was obsessed with destroying one godly righteous man, and it brought him down. So God gave the, will give the people... A king after their own hearts, but he will not let them choose. He's not going to give them that much authority. They get too many things wrong too many times. And so he is going to choose the king that they're looking for. It's not his first choice. It is not his first love. Two centuries later, the people will start appointing their own kings in the northern kingdom with disastrous Results and effects. Now we come to verse 2. When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelza. And they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? As I mentioned, it's just a lot of information here. In fact, I thought about, do I do, do, I do this chapter in two sections? And if I get to start doing that, I'm going to do some more like that, and we'll be in Samuel a long time. But when you've departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb. Well, see, this is one of the things. It says that her tomb was in the territory of Benjamin, but, but we know it was in Judah. It's likely it's a monument that that tribe wanted to establish for themselves, her tomb being in Judah, and they want a monument. And that's just a logical, one logical uh, response to that. But uh, the reason why he's beginning to give him these astounding details in what we know as being predictive prophecy. There are different types of prophecy. There's direct prophecy when, for instance, Elisha says, go dip in the Jordan. That's a direct uh, word from God to Naaman uh, to, if he's going to be cleansed of his leprosy. Predictive, of course, is telling a future event that's not taking place. That's all over the scripture. But then there's also uh, the prophecy of, of song, of praising God. Edi the prophecy that, is, that involves praise and edification. It's the traffic of spiritual things from the throne of God to people. That's what overall the meaning of prophecy is. And you have to keep it in context because in a moment we're going to see Saul prophesying, but he's not going to be predicting the future all over the place with everybody. It just would be goofy and it's not even what is intended by its meaning. The context with the instruments will make that very clear to us. But the reason why Samuel is saying he's going to give him a flood of signs, of confirmations, that's going to rule out any th thoughts of coincidence. Well, that just happened that way. Okay, you got two of them. You know, beginner's luck or some goofy thing. No, Samuel is saying, I'm anointing you with oil. 
is you're going to be the king, because this comes from the throne of God, and to validate this anointing, that it is indeed from God, these things are going to take place on your way back home from Mizpah to Gibeah. And, and they're remarkable. He says, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. They were found without him. That's significant. It indicates that Saul was being relieved from his farm work and his field work. It's a very subtle indication. The donkeys will be okay without you. You now have another calling in your life. And that is where your attention is to be turned henceforth. Devote yourself to the anointed work. That others brought him this information is will bring him, not yet. He's, Samuel's telling him what's going to happen. And it's going to happen, others will come and tell him. Well, they told Samuel. It didn't come direct to Saul. And it is just conf another confirmation, this time through people. I guess it's important to point out at this point that you cannot serve in public ministry and neglect your home, leave some private calling neglected to fail. A man cannot say, well, I know I'm supposed to be here to support my family, but I'm going to go do God's work, and you're going to have to just trust him for your food from now on. That is insane. Uh, to, well, James chapter 2. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? James is saying, you, you kidding? These are false. These are fake blessings. They're, they're meaningless. You can't say, Lord bless you. And you see a need that you can help someone with, and you don't. How is that blessing anyone? How is that ministry? Well, it would be transferred just equally. And there are other passages. I don't want to spend too much time on this. But we have no right to neglect responsibilities and blame ministry for it. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, these you should have done without leaving the others undone. You must multitask. You must get, it, get her done. And so here, though, he is now being relieved in symbol, in imagery of the, what's taking place. The donkeys are found without you because God is calling you to something else. Because your father will be able to run the farm without you. And if it were any other way, then you would not be called to this work. He says, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you. Yeah, well, Saul's father seems to have been a loving father. He seems to have shown his son more love than Saul showed any of his children. How does that work? How does someone have a loving uh, parent or parents and not appreciate it? Not, I mean, some of you older ones, you know. You, yeah, you know, I didn't appreciate it till years later. So you younger ones, you can either learn the hard way or the right way. Well, both ways are hard, but one is foolish. I'm going to wait until I get hurt before I learn the lesson. Or I can perceive it from a distance. I can look down the road and see what's going on with some perception. And there are a lot of benefits to that. There's much fruit there. Verse 3, then you shall go forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. Now, I'm sure we all want to know where that is. We don't. 
There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. This is incredible. So you're going to go over to, you know, one of the uh, supermarkets, and you're going to find this, and you're going to find that, and it's just it's incredible. I don't think Saul ever really got it. I don't think when these things happened that he ever looked back and said, man, I remember the day I was called to, to the throne as, of Israel's king. And that old prophet just predicted one thing after another, ensuring me that God was with me. No, that wasn't. That, David would have gobbled that up. David would have wrote ten songs about the three goats in the guy's hands. <laughs> but he does not have to go that route. This, again, is predictive prophecy versus the exalted prophecy that's coming. In Bethel, Jacob <clears throat> set up his altar there. And at this time in Israel's history, uh, the ark was separated from the articles of the temple. So really, what was tolerated was that you could offer your offerings wherever the priests were willing to offer them. Uh, there was not lawlessness. The Levites were not to offer them the offerings. The priests were, and without them, you really could not go forward. Samuel seems to, well, he was the judge of Israel, so he really judged prophet Levite. Uh, some room to say he was a priest on his mother's side, but uh, not going to go down that road too much either. Suffice it to say, Samuel is calling the shots in the nation. He is the overseer. And he has a direct line with God. He is a man of prayer and effective prayer. He gets a lot done. And that comes out in this first book of Samuel. And so the scattered worship is permitted. These men are going to Bethel. And they're carrying these, these, these items with them to offer. Now, how does one carry three goats at one time? Seems very busy to me. A lot of squirming going on. I've never carried three goats. I don't know if they cooperate. Uh, of course, it's kind of like a fish riding a bicycle. There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> it is kind of a goofy picture. Uh, but the carrying, of course, is not limited to holding them off the ground. They are in his custody. Uh, the other two are carrying the uh, the wine and the bread, and that's not on a leash. That is in their hands, or else who wants to have the bread after it was dragged on the ground? Verse 4, And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. Again, remarkable details. The, the, the features of this prophecy just insist that, as God said, as it said of Samuel earlier in chapter 3, none of his words fell to the ground. He said it had happened. That's why when Samuel showed up, people were nervous. Are you here to judge us or bless us? What is this going to be? Um, you can't blame them. Well, the men had these loaves with them, intended these, the loaves that they carried, as well as the goats and the wine. They were intended to be given to an anointed priest. But here they're being given, two of them are, to Saul, and his receiving them is symbolic of his receiving the blessings and the anointings that were issued by Samuel. It is God saying, a prosperous people will support their king. I will make them prosperous, and I will have them support you. But 
No Jew that was of the word would lose sight of man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, according to Deuteronomy 8.3. And Saul lost sight of that all the time. He is, again, he is the poster boy for how not to do it. There's gallant and there's goofus. He's goofus. And uh, it's a sad story, but you can't let up on him. Uh, you, you try to find a time to be, I'm going to be kind-hearted. Even in my approach to study, I'm, all right, I'm going to go easy on Saul. Well, I can't. He's not helping. We'll bring it out. Verse 5. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with, a, with stringed instruments, a tambourine, a flute, a harp, before them, and they will be prophesying. So here is the uh, evident they're going to a known place of worship. And uh, where it mentions the garrison, garrison of the Philistines, evidently the Philistines had an outpost there. It may have been abandoned, it may not have been, but uh, that was uh, one of the markers for, for Saul when he got to this place. He would also see these men coming and they would be singing songs, prophesying in the sense of. Uh, Worshiping the Lord, as we see in the book of Acts, the daughters of Philip, you know, they were all prophesying. Well, they weren't, God's not a chatterbox. You know, he's just, oh, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. It's, these are acts of worship, and this is how the, the, the Old Testament primarily presented, presents it to us. It was inspired praise, and Saul gets caught up in it, wondrously so. In fact, it was something that was remained a part of his life. With stringed instruments, tambourine, flute, harp. Later, we go, we're going to see Samuel leading the prophets. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. There he is, hunting David like a partridge. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying... And Samuel, standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So here these men are, they're scouting out, they're looking for David, and they come across Samuel leading the prophets in worship, in, in song, and uh, they're overtaken spiritually. They start praising God too. Is, I will cause the wrath of man to praise him, says the psalmist. Music arrested Saul, but it would only do it for a while. And we're going to come to why. Verse 10, verse 6, sorry. Ah, you're not getting off that quickly. Then the Spirit of Yahweh will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. So the two different exhibitions of prophecy, one is predictive, and this other one here is, of course, full of praise and exhortations. Uh... Saul will join them in, in praising Yahweh, which was brought on by the prophets in song. And if Saul could be moved into the spirit, anyone can. That's a lesson for us. If this guy can be moved in the spirit, I have no excuse. I can be moved in the spirit. But he never cared to develop it. He never cared to... Uh, seek the potential that was in him to, to worship God. He never uh, allowed God to fill him to capacity, as did, in contrast, King David. Um, 
and be turned into another man. And he needed that desperately. And we don't know this at this time. It develops through the story that we wish he stayed another man. Um, This happened when he was singing songs to the Lord. Afterward, uh, afterwards, he just wouldn't seek God. We have no real knowledge. When, even when Saul made an altar, it was, it was about him. When he brought worship into the situation, it was really about him. How did he look in front of the people of God? It really was never about God. First Samuel 16, verse 14, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from Yahweh troubled him. Yeah, that void, that vacancy uh, troubled Saul. So he has this religious experience, but unlike David, it did not stay. It did not stick because he really didn't want it to. God got in the way of what Saul wanted. Saul quenched the spirit through his consistent, blatant disobedience. How many people were fooled? How many people saw Saul saying, oh, he's one of the, he's 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 our king. He's such a righteous man. Even when he became a full-fledged monster, there were those reluctant to say, he's a monster. They couldn't call it. We see this sometimes in ministry. You see some pastors doing this. In fact, not only is it unbiblical, it's it's anti-Christ. Yet people still continue to go to that kind of church. We're going to praise the Lord. I love Jesus. Well, claiming you love Jesus while you're trampling his word is a bad idea. Acts chapter 2. We are all his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. We're not talking about those who struggle with sin. We're talking about those who don't care about struggling. They just want God. They just don't want his interference. They want information about God. But again, not his interference in their life. Saul will take no less than 24 attempts to kill David. What kind of madness is that? Here's the twelfth attempt, where he becomes overwhelmed in the spirit. Again, 1 Samuel 19. So, he went there to Naoth and Ramah. Then the spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. That's where Samuel was. And he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all day and night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Yeah, in his 12th attempt to kill David, they just can't see it because they like him. He's tall. He's handsome. He's just got, you know, everything that you would want. Carnally speaking, yes. These kind of bizarre events, they still take place. We find people have genuine experiences in Christianity, but really they, they never enter in. They go opposite. And here's precedence from the scripture. Saul is in church just worshiping away. He's not even mindful of David at this point. If he would only stay here, he should have bought himself a banjo and just stayed in this place, but he does not. See the lessons coming off the pages? How many times has someone, you know, claimed that they've given their life to Christ and they just won't let go of the old life until finally they just give up altogether? And they're not interested in coming back, Many, most of the time it seems. Verse 7, And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. So there's the prophet saying, listen, 
You have a responsibility. When, when you see these prophecies fulfilled, don't play the fool and act like, oh, what a coincidence. Do what you're supposed to do. Enter into them. Take hold of this. Yield, Saul. Yield. Yield to God. God helped Saul to be good. But it always faded away. And Saul never seemed to do anything to help bring it back. He could have built a fence around himself. Three signs promised. Three signs will be granted. Peter. It wasn't enough that God had given him a vision when it was time for Peter to reach to the Gentiles and lead them into Christianity without trying to get them to become Jewish. And so God gives him this vision of the, you know, the sheet and the animals, the unclean animals in it, and God saying, slay and eat, Peter. And Peter, not so, Lord. That stuff does not touch my lips. You know, I'm a good boy. And, and then, of course, he sends the three men to the door from Cornelius. They knock at the door while Peter's up in prayer. And, and they say, you know, the Lord comes to Cornelius' house, and Peter goes, and still he's not really, he starts preaching to them, and it evidently was kind of a mundane sermon, because the Holy Spirit interrupts his sermon and falls on them, and Peter says, who can deny these men be baptized? It's a powerful series of events there in the book of Acts. And here, uh, Saul is getting the benefit of sign after sign after sign as Peter got, you know, uh, indication after indication. Anyway, all of this is taking place at Mizpah, where Samuel is giving him this prophecy. We don't know how much time elapsed between the confirmations of these prophecies and the formal presentation to the people uh, of Saul as king. Now, remember, the scriptures are really not caught up in chronology. They, they will give us chronological events, but oftentimes they will go in a different direction because theme now becomes paramount, and we have to look for, uh, look for it. It just takes a lot of work to do it. Verse 8, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Evidently, Samuel is establishing a protocol to bring the king to the people, and there's going to be uh, offerings and sacrifice involved. And Samuel is pretty much saying, we're going to make you king in front of everybody, but we're not going to do that without worshiping the Lord with whole burnt offerings. It's a beautiful move by Samuel, of course. I don't think this is directly linked to 1 Samuel 13, where at war with the Philistines. In fact, I'm sure it's not. It's not to think of I'm not sure. It's to think of I am in this mind that uh, this is not connected to chapter 13 where he will not wait for Samuel and problems begin to arise. Uh, That probably takes place uh, at least two years later or close to two years later. So let's review some of this. His ascent to the throne He is anointed here in chapter 10 in the land of Zuf. Uh, Publicly, he will be proclaimed king to the people at Mizpah uh, beginning in chapter 17. This is your king. But in chapter 11, in the 15th verse, he is now crowned the king in front of the people. This mention of Gilgal. Well, Gilgal is significant to the people. It should have been. 
There are places in this nation's history that should be, you know, significant to us. Gettysburg, uh, Concord, Yorktown. Uh, we should understand, you know, what something that took place there, other than, you know, they opened up some nice ice cream shops eventually. We should know some of the history. Well, the same thing with the Jews in Gilgal. That's where God, you know, the, rolled the shame away from Israel's wandering in the desert because of their disobedience. They finally crossed into the promised land at Gilgal was where they set camp up after crossing Jordan. Eventually, as I mentioned, uh, he will be crowned at Gilgal, announced at Mizpah, crowned at Gilgal. Uh, he will offer a sacrifice to God in chapter 13 at Gilgal without Samuel, which is just really bad. It would cost him his throne. And... There, there also at Gilgal, Samuel will hack King Agag into pieces. Little bitty pieces. <laughs> Verse 9. So it was when he had turned back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. The spiritual confirmation that he is indeed anointed by God. This is not a man thing. This is a divine thing. Uh, but God, it doesn't mean that God's going to force him to serve as a godly king. No more than Jesus Christ forced Judas to serve as a godly apostle. Free will runs on. And the historian does not say he received a new heart, as he received another heart. Uh, may, I'm not saying it was one of the old ones left up on the shelf, and that's not, <laughs> certainly not the meaning. But it is a distinction that is not easy to get away from knowing the life of this man, that it is possible to have another view, another experience, without it really touching the whole person. And when the Hebrews used the word heart, and even the Greeks, they meant the whole person. We tend to mean our feeling, you know, with all my heart. It's an emotional thing most of the time. But for the Jew, it was the feelings it was the brains, and it was the will. And that made up the heart. You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, with your whole heart, not a portion of it. And uh, so it's significant. Intellectual change is, is just not enough. Jesus said this, remember Lot's wife? She made it out. And angels came, took her out of the city, prophesied to her, this place is going to burn out. You've got to get out of here. Don't look back. That's all we ask. Just don't look back. That was too much for her. And there she was turned into a pillar, a monument of almost out. So what did Saul do with this other heart that he, he got? Well, he did sing. He did show that he had the capacity for God. Um... Later, he's going to turn his back. Uh, well, Samuel's going to turn his back on Saul because of Saul's disobedience. First Samuel 15, and Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. I mean, who paid for that? I, I, I've always like, you know, I still trouble, you know, the angels, they have these garments. Who makes them? I mean, is there like a factory? I mean, I have so many questions about heaven. I'm not going to have time for you when, when you were up there for a long time. I'm just, don't, I'm not rude, but there'd be so many things to get my hands into. 
silly, but it's fun to think about. Anyway, all those signs came to pass that day. Saul's servant is with them the whole time. Verse 14 will will tell us that. Why? God is going to put a witness to these things. He doesn't know all that's going on, but he's going to see Saul prophesying. So Samuel grew, and Yahweh was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. 1 Samuel 3.19 is happening here in chapter 10. Now verse 10. Then they came there to the hill, and there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. That's the guys with the flutes, the harp. Now, it's a little harp. It's not the big grand. I don't know. Do they have baby grand harps? You know, I have a grand harp, a baby grand console harp, upright harp. I'm harping on it, I know. Anyway, <laughs> this is one of those little ones. Uh, it's almost like a bow and arrow, right? It can double. You know, watch this. You can use these chords if you string them tight. Anyway, from the instant... Saul met Samuel till the day of his death. He was encircled by godly men. Again, verse 10, when they came to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. These were godly men. Always Saul could just reach out and touch a godly man throughout his life. And he opted out. When he couldn't get godly men to kill the priest, he got Doeg, the Edomite, to do it. Saul gave no real evidence that he hated his sin, that he hated the flesh, that he hated evil. Instead of warring against the flesh, Saul warred against the spirit. He did. He did just that. He didn't fight his own sin. When God tried to grab hold of him, he fought that. And this comes out when David is singing to him and he chucks spears at David. There's a little bit more to the story, but not much more. How do you have these schizophrenic, they would say, flips in the presence of worship music? Galatians 5, 17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But again, Saul offered no resistance. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, it says here at the bottom of verse 10, and he prophesied among them, singing songs, praising God. But it was like iron mixed with clay. It would not stand. It would collapse under its own weight. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? You know who does the know-it-alls? The know-it-alls in the church, they, they start off in the Spirit, But then they think they know more than everybody else. They're smarter than everybody else. Things aren't working out for everybody else, but it's going to work for them because, after all, they're smarter than everybody else. And then they think they're going to be made perfect in the flesh. They think that kind of attitude God's going to somehow be chummy with. And it's not true. Verse 11, And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? So the people are blown away. you kidding me, this guy? Not that he was a brawler or anything, but he just probably evidenced nothing, you know, he never in the synagogue. I mean, well, synagogues really weren't around like we know him today, but just, I mean, he just, they're like, surprised. It's out of character with his current behavior. 
this is, uh, it appears to be a noble beginning because it is. It is, it's a high, it's an honorable, honorable beginning. But knowing his end, ending, knowing Saul's ending, we, we just don't trust anything the guy says. It's like a, a guy who lies so much that his own dog won't come to him when he calls. The dog, is he's lying, he doesn't really want me, he lies all the time. I can't trust him. Uh, but that's Saul, and you see any flare-up of, okay, maybe he's getting it. Oh, man, you're setting yourself up for a letdown. It's hard to minister like that, because you've got to always leave the room for God to do a miracle. When on all likelihood, the person's never going to let God do a miracle. That person has become so in rhythm with wickedness and carnality and the flesh that they are now irretrievable. In the New Testament, we would still have to guard our hearts from hating a man like Saul. But we would also have to guard wisdom and not allow him to harm us spiritually especially. Verse 12, Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? Well, if you were going to, you couldn't be a Levite or a priest if you just wanted to be. But a prophet, you could go join the school of the prophets, or God could speak through you, and you could then uh, become <clears throat> a minister of righteousness in that sense. And so, uh, one of the men of Gibeah is just saying, "Well, you know, the prophets, their fathers were just common people, so it's not surprising to find Saul amongst the prophets." That's fair enough. Uh, but again, wisdom is known by her children, so is righteousness. Verse 13, and when they had finished prophesying, he went to the high place, again to sacrifice with the prophets, more than likely. Verse 14, then Saul's uncle said to him and his servants, where did you go? So he said, to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what does Samuel, Samuel say to you? And I don't know if this uncle just, you know, I don't like Saul. He's a nephew I never liked. I don't trust him. I've always catch him just with the, you know, enough crumbs around. Or if he's just a nosy uncle. We're not told. But he's putting some heat on him. These are reasonable questions. It would be prudent for Saul to not answer unless he's ready to, to back it up. A guy like David could back it up. David, David just had the right comeback. You've come to see the fight. David could have said, what fight? I don't see a fight. I see a bunch of men shaking in their sandals. He doesn't do that, but, but he just sort of disregards it. And, he, you know, he's, who is this Philistine? And everybody's like, boy, this guy is really laying it on Goliath. And it gets to, to Saul. And they bring him to Saul. And, of course, Saul's looking for it. Saul, well, let me go forward, because we got some other things about Saul on, on that very note about his fears that, that he had. Anyway, Saul, uh, he leaves out. He's not going to tell. Verse 16, so Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but uh, about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Now, I, I read that as though there were no quotation marks there. I'll reread verse 16. So Samuel said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. 
end, end of quotes, but about the matter of the kingdom, he, that is Saul, did not tell him what Samuel said. Well, it would have been a kind of awkward, if not laughable. Well, Uncle Joe, <laughs> at Petticoat Junction, right? Uh, well, Uncle Joe, you know, I'm going to be king. <laughs> Uncle Joe, I bust out laughing or have him committed somewhere. So it's probably wise he doesn't. Remember what happened to Joseph. Yeah, I, I rose up above all you guys. I mean, and it got him sold into slavery. Anyway, I still come away with the feeling that uh, the uncle suspected Saul was hiding something because he knew him. And that Saul was less wise and more something else. I just don't have an easy feeling. If I were watching this, I'd say, I don't know. Something doesn't seem right, knowing what I know about Saul. But if it were David, I'd be saying, yeah, David's smart. Whatever he says is right. That's kind of a, you just trust the guy. It's like having a a good kid. You give them the benefit of the doubt. And I don't give Saul much benefit of the doubt because there's just not much to give. Then, verse 17, Samuel called the people together to Yahweh at Mizpah. Now this is going to be the public announcement. Mizpah was about two miles from Samuel's home. And uh, it's the gathering place. It's been a gathering place for several reasons. Israel gathered there to confess their sins. They gathered at Mizpah, the tribes in the days of Judges, to pronounce judgment on the tribe of Benjamin for their sexual perversity and, and their murder. And it was at Mizpah that decision was made. Saul um, anointed king at Suf and then proclaimed at Mizpah and here crowned at, will later be crowned at Gilgal. Verse 18, And said to the children of Israel, Thus says Yahweh God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of the, all the kingdoms of those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you, verse 19, from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, said a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before Yahweh by your tribes and by your clans. Samuel takes a moment to say, You know what? I'm going to use my pulpit to bully a little bit here because you people need, you just, you, 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 you made the wrong choice. God in His grace is going ahead and going to work with you, but you're still wrong. And there's a part of me that doesn't like you for it. <laughs> I will pray for you and all that, but this having a king is not God's first love, and not mine, too. You're wrong, and I'm right. That's how I read it. How else can you read it? Why else is he bringing it up like this? It's not like, you know, Stephen. Stephen gave the sermon of his life, the last one. Interesting. See, Stephen gave expositional, an expositional sermon in the days of persecution. He didn't look to give, I'm going to give you a cultural lesson on Caesar. And was, he preached the word to them concerning obedience to God. He did not move off the scripture. And he started, his text was Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, get away from your family to a land that I will show you. And he just lays it out to them until finally Stephen about had it with them. <laughs> Which of the prophets have you not stoned? Uh, man, what a man. Anyway, if I go out, I want to go out like Stephen. 
But I do want to catch some of the rocks and throw them back and take a few out with me. I just think that way. No, I, no, I don't. Some men want a, a light on their leaf blower. I want a bayonet holder. It's just the way you see things. Uh, but anyway, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes at the bottom of verse 19. The clans, they are small elements of tribes. Verse 20, and when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Of course, the Urim and the Thurim are probably being used, as Joshua did to locate Achan, the lawbreaker, in his day. Samuel is doing this to single out in front of the people the man that will be king. And the first Christians, they implemented a similar practice by drawing lots uh, to discern God's will, but discontinued it after Pentecost. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are going to experience perplexity and hard times. If you are not led by the Spirit of God, you will have the same thing, but it will be worse. Uh, Such is life. What distinguishes the Christian is how we respond to these things. We, just, we, we respond like, like, like Job, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 10, uh, pardon me, we went back in time. Well, at some points I missed. Verse 21, chapter 10. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, their families, the family of Matri was called, uh, Matri, and Saul and the son of Kish was chosen, but when they sought him, they could not find him. How different again from David. David's into his coronation, like about time. I was you know, running from Saul for how many years? Probably almost a decade, and then, then you know, the seven years in Hebron, and finally everybody's here. All right. Uh, but God, verse 22, therefore they inquired of Yahweh further, has the man come here yet? And Yahweh answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. So God identifies the missing man. Saul is hiding. He knows what this is about, and he's, he's afraid of it. Um, he doesn't want to be spent, it appears. In contrast to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Man. Would you like to look at a picture? Wouldn't you like? I'd like a picture of Paul's heart. It would be all shredded. One side from the world, the other side from Christians. 80% in Corinth. <laughs> what a man. I, I, I've almost given up on trying to be like even Paul. I just, you know, man, how did, how did you do this? I know how, but how come it's not working so easily for me? Well, it didn't work easily for him either. He bore on his body the marks of Christ. Um, was he afraid of failing in public? I think there he is hidden among the equipment. I like the old King James reading of this verse. Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. <laughs> that, that is, uh, I don't want to be that guy. Where are you, Christian? Are you serving the Lord? I'm hiding amongst the stuff. What stuff? Does it matter? It's stuff. It's, it's like, it just anyway, the wagons, the carts, the supplies, he's reluctant. Uh, he's, he's, he, this reluctance is born of fear, no, no doubt about that. And he lacks motivation. 
There's no fire coming out of Saul for God. Songs maybe, but no real fire. And, of course, the future, what we know of him, robs him of receiving the benefit of the doubt, as, as said. Some have treated this as evidence of modesty. I disagree, and so do a lot of other commentators disagree with that approach. Uh, this is not a virtuous trait. Modesty that gets in the way of service is not modesty. It's something else. Uh, obedience is obedience, and, and modesty must bow to that. How would it be as, you know, I'm just too humble to serve? And we hear this sometimes, I'm not worthy to serve. Well, of course we know that. We all, The cross of Christ tells you you're not worthy. But Saul always feared the wrong thing. Here, he fears his calling as king. In chapter 13 and in chapter 28, he fears the Philistine armies. He fears his own army in chapter 15. Oh, Samuel, what will the people think of me if you don't come to eat with me? He fears Goliath in chapter 17. He fears David in chapter 18. He fears a coup in chapter 22. And in the end, hearing Samuel's prophecy about death and defeat, he he trembles at that too. David is said to really have had fear twice. Once with Achish, the king of Gath, when David cornered himself there because of his, you know, David was foolish in in being over there with the Philistines and he had to act that he was crazy to get out of it. And the other one is in 2 Samuel chapter 6 where he just outright feared God. And the many psalms that he has reflects that. The contrast is stark. Verse 23, so they ran and brought him from there. You know, you're the birthday boy. What are you doing hiding? And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. He was tallest outwardly, but inside he was not so prominent. It was another story. And uh, verse 24, And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom Yahweh has chosen? Pause there. And they said, Yeah. They were very excited about this. He was everything. Forget about that he was cowering amongst the stuff. They dismissed all of that. All they saw was that he was head and shoulders. He is the guy we want for our king. And so do you see him who Yahweh has chosen? That there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Um. The Lord, again, gave them what they were looking for, but uh, did not allow them sovereignty in the process. Verse 25, Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before Yahweh. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. Samuel also explained the etiquette of using cell phones in public. And we have that <laughs> It's called the calling. Uh, anyway, monarch etiquette is what he covers here in verse 25. Because he does not leave it to the people to make it up as they go along. He just, what a, a great man. Verse 26, And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. These are the motivated men, likely more motivated than Saul ever was. Uh, this is the story of the book of Acts. We will find men and women just, uh, m- you know, just hearts moved by God. 
Valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. And tragically, these men would not have a king who was responsive. Now, you could put a person in a pulpit and they could, you know, speak the scripture to you and really just not even care about it. You can watch a movie, you know, on, on, when they have preaching scenes in the movie and the men seem to be, you know, profoundly born again and on fire for God, but they're just acting. And when they finish acting, they're going to go back to being the worldling that they were before. And so these things aren't a surprise to us, and thus we need discernment. Why would we need discernment if we're so smart? Because we're not that smart. We need spiritual discernment. We need God to help us make uh, things official. Verse 27, But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him. And brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Well, having hit already amongst equip, equipment at this point in his life, it's probably good that he held his peace. Uh, these might have been some tough guys. It will come back to the story later. Uh, but there were those that said, he's not my king. Such is life. Well, we'll keep moving through the life of Samuel so much more. We've not even really, the life of Saul in the book of Samuel. So much more awaits us. Let's pray. Our Father, may we uh, take advantage of the lessons that we get from your word, as always. May it never just become an interesting discussion. May it always be real to us, to your glory, and uh, hopefully to the strengthening of each other and to the reaching of the lost. And one other thing this evening, Lord, may you get us all home safely. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.